The following is an exclusive broadcast from Between Rounds Radio. For more information, visit patreon.com forward slash between rounds. Hey everyone, welcome to Fight Court on Between Rounds Radio. I'm Rob Tatum, with me as always is King Mo The Wall. Uh, Mo, happy new year, how's it going? Happy new year, man. Uh, everything's going good. Still suffering from jet lag, but I'm going to be okay. Yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, it, it's been a busy last couple of weeks since the last time we were uh, on the air here. Uh, you know, we had Glory Collision happened in, in uh, Holland. Uh, you know, you were in Japan for that, that Bellator event. Uh, Ryzen had that big event on New Year's Eve. And then uh, PFL kind of closed out the year last night with the, their uh, championship event. It was it was a lot. It was a lot in, in the span of a, a week and a half or whatever. Uh, and, and I guess there was a UFC card smashed in there too, uh, you know, Frankie Edgar and Korean Zombie. So a lot going on. Uh, you know, Mo, any, anything stand out to you? I mean, obviously you, you were uh, cage side for, for the Bellator card. Uh, you know, what, what was the biggest, uh, you know, takeaway of, of the last couple of weeks of combat sports? Oh, man. Um, I like the co-promotion um, between Bellator and, and uh, Ryzen. Uh, um, Quentin Jackson being overweight was a was a was something was something was something of note to bring up. Um, um, Patrick Mix, oh my gosh, that kid's amazing. Um, and bring him up. I, I like the. I'm, I don't know. Um, the PFL. I don't know, the, bro, there's a lot of stuff that went on this, <laughs> over the over the past few past few actually towards the end of the year. Yeah, 2019. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that went down. It's funny with with the UFC kind of doing their end of year thing, uh, essentially uh, UFC 245. I mean, they still smashed in that South Korea card, but it, it kind of flew under the radar compared to to everything else that was going on. I mean, the last two weeks, even though this is supposed to be kind of the the downtime because the UFC's off, it was anything but that. So, uh, I want to start with that glory card. I know you were traveling for for uh, you know uh, J- going to Japan and all that stuff. So I'll. I'll kind of go through this one. I mean, for those that missed it, uh, rematch between Rico Verhoeven and Bader Hari, uh, you know, probably the biggest kickboxing event ever. I mean, certainly K1's going to argue because they had some great events, you know, back in the day in, uh, uh, say, Thomas Super Arena and whatnot in Japan. But in, in terms of the the current iteration of kickboxing, you know, beyond the, the K1 heavyweight era, this was definitely the biggest event in kickboxing history. You know, sold out a soccer stadium in Arnhem, Netherlands. Uh, but, uh, what really, uh, is frustrating about what happened in that event is, is Badr Hari was again, taking it to Rico Verhoeven, you know, dropped him twice, once with a, uh, a nasty, nasty right hand. Uh, second time was with a head kick and, uh, it, it looked like he might actually have Rico's number in this fight. Rico was doing pretty well with his low kicks, uh, working the body potentially, you know, Doing some work that he was he was investing in some early work to to hopefully pay off later in the fight, but again, Rico comes away with a victory because Badrhari gets hurt. Um, you know, if you guys didn't watch the fight, uh, Badrhari went for a, a, a spinning heel kick and apparently damaged his his ligaments in his left ankle and couldn't get up. Um, you know, what what sticks out to me watching it is just Badrhari laying on the canvas, just screaming. And I'm going to put a dollar in our swear jar right now since it's the first of the year. But he's just screaming, yeah. fuck, as loud as he possibly could. And, and you know, tears start flowing. And, and you could just see the frustration because, you know, Badr Hari's 35. It's not like he's got a lot left in his career. And, you know, dude's had well over 100 fights, you know, 
one of the most decorated heavyweights of all time and, and faced a who's who. And now twice he's had to, you know, basically give up in a fight that he was arguably winning. You know, it's it's strange to me, though, whether they're actually going to try to put together a third fight. I mean, from a money perspective, I think it makes total sense. I mean, they sold out a freaking soccer stadium for this. But at the same time, you know, Botter's only getting older. That's twice now that he hasn't been able to even, you know, make it to the finish of the fight. Do they really want to invest in that again? I mean, it, it, it's it's a catch-22 in my mind. I mean, certainly they can get a whole bunch of people excited about it again, but if it keeps happening, A, it tarnishes Rico's legacy a little bit, and B, it, it leaves so many, like, what-ifs, and, and it kind of frustrates me, you know, as someone who's followed this sport for, you know, 15, 20 years now, it, it drives me crazy that I can't actually see, you know, who's supposed to be the, the best heavyweight kickboxer on the planet actually, you know, go through a full fight with Badr Hari and, and see where he is, how he measures up to those, to those you know, greats of, of the previous generation. Uh, Mo, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, do you, do you want to see Rico and Badr 3? I would definitely want to catch it. Um, the thing is, you have to remember, combat sports is all about what ifs. What if so-and-so fought so-and-so at 100%? That's why you see, like, the pound-for-pound list, the mythological who versus who, what happens if Floyd Mayweather fought Tommy Hearns. Like, that's all – they always do that because when it comes down to it, if you've been in a fight game long enough, when it's all said and done, the chances of you fighting at 100% or fighting at your best is slim. Anything can happen in a fight. So, like, you know, um, the third fight could happen where Rico could, hurt, could get injured or Byron can get injured or someone get knocked out, or it might be a dud and go decision. You just never know till it happens, you know what I'm saying? So, like, the first time was a fluke, you know, but the third, second time was kind of a fluke. You know, but the third time, you know, we'll see what happens. But I think that the ans- answers can be, um, you know, questions will be answered for the third one. I really think so. Yeah, I mean, the best thing I can compare this to is that this fight, you know, the first go-round was kind of like the appetizer. The, the second go-round was like you started to eat your meal, but both times it feels like you didn't actually get to have the main course and dessert. And, you know, it, it feels like a tease, if you will, you know. Uh, you've got two of the best heavyweights that are currently competing in, in the ring together, but for some reason something seems to go wrong. Like, I don't know if the fight's cursed or what, but, you know, I, I'm certainly interested in a third fight, and, and hopefully we can actually see it play out, you know, all the way through one way or the other, and... You know, maybe it's the fact that Badr Hari's got, you know, well over 100 fights. You know, his body can't take it anymore. I don't know. Um, you know, but since we're talking about this card, there is one other fighter I wanted to talk about, Mo, and that's uh, current middleweight and interim light heavyweight champion Alex Pereira. You know, for for fans that didn't get a watch, uh, you know, he knocked out Erdogan Barak uh, inside the first round. You know, at this point, uh, Pereira has basically run through everybody that Glory's put in front of him. He's... Uh, Arguably, in my mind, he, he's really close to the top of the pound-for-pound pound list. Uh, you know, certainly there's guys like Georgia Petrosian, uh, Marat Gregorian, you know, Sidichai. There's some guys up there that are, that are ridiculously talented kickboxers, but none of them are putting people away with the consistency that... Well, who's the, who's the glory of um, white heavyweight champion? Uh, it's Artem Vahitov, but he he's really struggled with, with hand injuries for a while now. So that's why they created an interim belt. I certainly want to see that fight between him and Pereira. Uh, you know, Vaitov is uh, tough as hell, good boxing, 
you know, I think it's an intriguing matchup because that's where Pereira actually excels is with his hands and his power. Uh, you know, it'd be more of a technique versus power fight. I think it's intriguing. Uh, but the reason I wanted to bring up Pereira, though, Mo, is people may not know this, but he's actually got two wins over Israel Adesanya in the kickboxing ring. And, you know, he's had a couple MMA fights early on, and he's talked about wanting to actually transition to MMA. Is that something you'd be interested in? Uh, how, how old is he now? Uh, I think he's getting up there, man. I mean, he, he's not, you know, he's not Badr-Hari's age at this point, but uh, I, I know he's into his 30s. Hang on just a second here. Yeah, he's 32. So, I mean, I'm... How many, how many MMA fights does he have? Uh, let's see. Uh, he's got three, but hasn't had any in three years. He's two and one with two oh. knockout wins. How did he lose by decision? Uh, he got submitted in his first fight back in uh, 2015. Did make it all the way to the third round, but got submitted. I mean, it's it's the same thing that I think most kickboxers struggle with when they transition: is do they have a ground game? Can they stop a takedown? You know, uh, e- even with Israel Adesanya, we haven't seen him in there again. I mean, we saw him against Derek Brunson, but we haven't seen him against like a Yoel Romero. You know, it'll be interesting to see how something like that goes. You know, I'd have the same concerns with Pereira, but, you know, it's not like you can ignore the fact that he's beaten Izzy twice already. I mean, I think it's something that I would be interested in, especially because, you know, he was able to to knock him out in the second fight. So I, probably the only person that's stopped Israel Adesanya in the last, you know, 10 years or whatever. Yeah. Well, that's kickboxing, but, you know, um, we'll see. You know, I, I'd like to see him jump in, see what he could do. I'd definitely be interested. All right, well, we're going to move on here, folks. Uh, so, Mo, since you were in Japan, I think you're probably best suited to talk about this one. But, you know, Bellator had that co-promotion event with, with Ryzen that you talked about. Uh, we saw Fader Emelianenko fight Quentin Rampage Jackson in the main event. Uh, you know, lots of other stuff on that card. I mean, honestly, I think the, the main card kind of played out as I expected it to. Um, you know, Goichi Yamamuchi submitted Darren Cruikshank, uh, Kana Watanabe, uh, beat uh, Alara Ioane. Uh, Lorenz Larkin looked great. Uh, you know, Michael Page does what Michael Page does against guys that aren't quite as uh, striking proficient as he is. Uh, but you know, you you were there for uh, for Sydney Outlaw who who stepped up on short notice against Michael Chandler. Uh, you know, any takeaways from that experience, Mo? Any you know thoughts on, on Chandler? You know where he stands in the lightweight division? Uh, you know. What what's next for Outlaw? That sort of stuff. Well, I'm not I'm not sure what's next for Outlaw. You know, uh, he took the fight on short notice, so I guess it's up to his management to find out what's next. <clears throat> uh, really, uh, Michael Chandler looked good. You know, uh, um, I I really think that uh, you know he's ready for Pitbull. He needs, he needs to work on his head movement more because he got hit with a few jabs um, by by Sydney. But other than that, man, it was a good card. Uh, MVP, people talk bad about MVP all they want. Say he's fought nobody, saying, oh, he wouldn't be top five in the UFC, which is bull. Um, he beat Paul Daly, who beat LeBron's Larkin. You know, um, uh, he uh, he gave, he gave uh, Lima all he could handle. Before he, as a matter of fact, like, you know, if you look at the first round, it was pretty even stand-up-wise. He might have landed the better shot stand-up-wise. And then when Lima took him down, Lima couldn't do anything because his grip was so strong and his hands were so big. And then in the second round, he actually, like, 
hit Lima a few good times and then try to blitz him. And Lima timed him with uh, with a calf kick and stopped him. People just think that um, MVP is the type of guy that is a bum and, you know, that he'll go to the UFC. If he were to go to the UFC, he'd get beat. And people don't realize this guy is six by 6'3". Six, he don't cut much weight. Very athletic. He's very long and, long and rangy. He has great timing. And he's hard to train for. You think Wonder Boy is something spectacular? MVP is levels above Wonder Boy. MVP is on, on, the only person that's above, like a level above MVP is Raymond Daniels. People don't realize that. And Raymond Daniels is very spectacular. Um, but other than that, I, I like what Bellator and Ryzen are doing. I think the more cross promotion and co promotion promoting you do, the greater chance you have to seeing a true world champion. champion. Yeah, I. You do do you do that. You have a great chance to see a true world champion. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy I enjoy the the cross promotion aspect, and I, I love bringing up Michael Page because I I know how much uh, you you love to uh, <laughs> discuss this topic. So <laughs> I'm still on the train that they need to give him a challenge. I, I'm I'm not discounting his skill set. I just think they need to give him a true challenge, and, and you know. The, well, it's probably Lorenz Larkin. Yeah, I, I like that fight. I think that that's a that's a good fight, you know, because Larkin has a striking background. Uh, you know, he's he's definitely more well rounded than some of the guys they've been giving him lately. But so here's my thing: what what if MVP runs right runs right through him and makes him look well, bad? That, what are people gonna say? Are people gonna say, "Well, Larkin <laughs> is older," and you they know, shouldn't. Well, let's see him do that to so and so. Then he beat. Say he wins, wins out. They'll be like, "Well, Limo's old." Nah, and so and so. You know, it's all. Think about sure. it. Like look, the thing is, like, well, he, he smashed Cyborg. Cyborg was no punk. Yes, he might been older, but Cyborg is still tough. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, Rickles is tough. I'm like, Rickles will be small, but Rickles is tough. Page, you know, what Page saying? is like, a talented kickboxer. I am not going to deny that for a second. I think where I've gotten frustrated with, you know, we've talked about it on here before, is just it doesn't seem like they've given him a consistent, you know, challenge, you know, they, they want to have the highlight real stuff, which, you know, from a promotional perspective, I get it. But, you know, if he's going to go out there and claim that the Lima loss was a fluke, then he should be doing things to get back into the title picture. And, you know, fighting a guy like Anzai on short notice in Japan doesn't do anything in that regard. Like if you have, if, you, but, but, how, but, how, but here's the thing, people blaming him. He took the foul short notice to be in the car. Sure. No. Now, now check this out, check this out. Now people are, are being dumb and and are not seeing like, hey, Lorenz Lark was in that card, he won. MVP's in that card, he won. A lot of times, if you, if you look at Coker's um background, look at his, look at the history of his cards. A lot of times, you see the same guys that end up fighting each other start together fighting the same. Yeah, cards. for sure. I mean, it's a fight that makes sense. Like, if if Larkin doesn't get Lima next, then. They need to do Larkin and Page, and the winner gets Lima. It should, it should be Larkin versus Page because Larkin didn't make yep. weight, fight one seventy three. Yep. Um, MVP fight at catch weight, which was one seventy three. Yep. Well, let them fight yep. next. I, I'm, and then and then let, 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 so let's see what happens with Yuroslav, Yuroslav, uh, um, Amasov. Let him if he keeps on winning, let him fight Paul Daly. Like Paul Daly wants wanted. Sure. You know what I'm saying like this, like that, that guy from the, the Ukrainian is tough at one seventy. He is tough. It's it's definitely he's gonna be hard. It's to definitely beat. one of Bellator's deeper divisions for sure. Um, so before we we take our first break, I do want to talk about your buddy, uh, Mr. Rampage Jackson. Uh, you know there were there were fight fans all over, including even on our Discord, and I'm not gonna shout anybody out by name that were were calling the the main event at work. Uh, you know, as as bad as Quentin Rampage Jackson looked against Fedor Emelianenko, 
I don't think that fight was a work. Um, to, to, no, it was. Yeah, work. I mean, Rampage obviously did not take it seriously. I mean, that. Well, no. Well, here's the thing. I, I think uh, he was over three hundred pounds like a few months ago. Yeah. Word is he cut twenty something pounds to make weight. Just kept it quiet. That's crazy to make weight. That's. I mean, so yeah. For someone that fought like the majority of his career at two hundred five, it is crazy for him to have ballooned that much. And not really, because think about this. When he fought Rashad, he was like 240, 250 going to that camp. So, like, what do you guys expect? When I fought, it was 254. Yeah. Well, and it's clear that he's not taking it seriously. He he was there to. No, it's not. It's not I'm not, you can't say he's not taking it seriously. I think that he's just old. His body can't train the way he used to, so he's just old. You know what I'm saying? And he's trying to cash out, but he's old. You know, like, like when you get to a certain age, your body just can't do it sure. no more. Well, and, you know, getting hit by the right hand of Fedor Emelianenko is not something most people want to do. So, you know, no, like no. that, that shot that hit, you know, people were like, Oh, he take a, he took a dive. Blah, blah. No, he got hit right on the orbital bone, you know? And, and, and so I was like, he's cut. Yeah, he's exactly. Cut. Like he may not have wanted to continue. Like you could say that he, he, he bailed at that point, but can you blame no, him? I don't think he bailed. I think he was, I think he was out. Like, he wasn't in good shape. People have to realize, yeah. <laughs> people have to realize like when you get hit that hard, you, it's like, you, you know, what's going right. on. Like, like, as, like, people make seem like, oh, he got rocked. He should know. Oh, he should. He got rocked. He, why did he sprawl? Well, he got rocked. When you're rocked, the world is spinning. You don't notice what's going yeah. on. Your brain's reset. It's scrambled. You know what I'm saying? People got to realize that. Like, Quentin was, like, shaking his head, like, what the fuck was going yeah. on? Well, and it's not like you have to search very hard to find 30 other people that have been put out by that right hand. You know what I mean? Like, go watch every single Pride event from... You know, 2003, that's <laughs> how they got bought out. Basically, every time Fader is on a card, he's he's wrecking people with that right hand or, you know, submitting them. He was strike yeah, force. Exactly. He was, he was strike that's what force. he does. So, all right, folks, uh, we're going to take... And affliction. <laughs> we're going to take our first uh, break of the, the show. Uh, you're listening to Fight Court on Between Rounds Radio. All right, welcome back to Fight Court uh, on this New Year's Day edition of Fight Court. Uh, you know, Mo, we got a couple more events that we wanted to talk about, and, you know... Uh, Ryzen again delivered at the end of the year with some people have called it the event of the year. I, I think there's a little bit of recency bias there, but top to bottom, Ryzen 20 was one of the deepest cards of the year. I, I know you got to catch most of it live. Uh, I, I cut a good chunk of it the next morning, but you know, we, we had Manel Cape uh, beat Kai Asakura for, for the Bantamweight belt. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, Tension did what Tension does and just absolutely demolished uh, Ibata. Uh, you know, the, the one fight that I made sure I watched and, and stuck out to me, Siohi uh, Ham versus Ayaka Hamasaki. You know, it's 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 really rare that you get the number one ranked and the number two ranked fighters in a division fighting one another for a belt. And, you know, that, that fight absolutely delivered. Uh, you know, you saw Rena uh, get revenge on Lindsey Van Zant. You saw uh, Tafik Masayev uh, score a vicious knockout over Johnny Case in the lightweight tournament. And then he was able to beat Patricky Pitbull in the final uh, your boy Yuri, uh, you know, I, I joked on our message board. He sent CB Dalloway into the shadow realm. Um, you know, uh, the, yeah. Hiramasu uh, Ogikubo, uh, another big win. I mean, he's he's probably in line for the first shot at Cape at, for a title shot. You talked about Patrick Mix with that beautiful quick submission. Uh, that card was absolutely ridiculous. What stood out to you the most, and, and what you know, what was the defining moment that you take away? Man, like there's so many defining moments. Patrick Mix with the 
guillotine with the body triangle attached to it um, from the guard. Yuri's one punch left hook. Like, another thing is, like, you know, um, the calf kick reigns supreme because the calf kick was tearing Yuri up. But um, Yuri has that one punch power. Um, Pitbull versus um, the. Um, Messiah, is that not? Is that yeah, Messiah, Messiah, yeah, the, the, the final. Messiah, yeah. That was a great fight. Um, I think Pitbull messed up thinking that it was round by round. When we're in Japan, they judge the whole fight as a sure. whole. He figured that he was up, which in, in America, he would probably won the fight. Yeah, that's. You know, he could have won. You know, it's just the judging is different. Um, I saw, I, as a matter of fact, I saw Hamasaki's opponent, Ham, in uh, warming up. And she has some fast, fast hands. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, I thought it was, it, yeah. Her, the the biggest disservice to to Siohi Ham's career was the fact that she moved up to strawweight and tried to compete in the UFC outside of her natural weight class. It she she's a natural atom weight. She was too small for it, and you know she took a bunch of losses. That it's unfortunate because a, a lot of people wrote her off because of it. But she has ridiculous power. I mean, she's got a. A knockout victory over the Invicta champ, Jen, Jen Fry, uh, you know, it, under the road banner. And, you know, I, I wish that she had come over to the U.S., you know, fight scene under the Invicta banner and fought at 105 rather than trying to get to the UFC and being overmatched and outsized. Because it, it, like I said, a, a lot of people had kind of written her off. But that, that fight with Hamasaki, you know, third time they fought, first time Ham won. But it was a great fight. It was super technical. And you know what? She absolutely deserved to win that fight. I, I that was my favorite fight on this card because it was competitive, it was technical, you know. And now she's got absolute claim to being the best atom weight on the planet. Yeah, and, and just she showed it. She has some skills, boy. She has some skills. Yep. Um, anything else on that card? That I mean, I, I think that the, some of the takeaways that I had, like you said, Pitbull. I think if he had been under unified rules, he might have won that final. Um, the other thing is, like, and, you know, whether you want to call him excuses or not, but his manager said that he hurt, he broke his right hand in the first fight, said that he injured his shoulder and his knee. You know, I, fighters do that. I, I'm not trying to disrespect Pitbull here, but, you know, it, it kind of makes you wonder if, if they rematch, if if that's a, a fight that goes differently, you know. Uh, if, if they rematch, it goes yeah. differently. It, you know, yeah. uh, you know, Yuri, it's one of those things where I feel like he's kind of trapped over there because there's not a whole lot of guys wanting to come in there and fight him. I mean, you fought him twice. You know it's not an easy fight. And, you know, after seeing what he did to, to CB Dalloway in under two minutes, I, I think they're going to struggle a little bit to find people that are going to want to come over there and, and fight him. Nah, I think people people go over there. I think Bader, let's try to do something with Bader. Because, like, in a cage, Yuri, Yuri's not the same in the cage. In a cage, I'd fight Yuri in a cage. It's just, it's just in the ring. He's dangerous because he's a striker, and strikers fare to be um, fare better in the ring. Sure, yeah. Oh, oh, one last sure. takeaway. Bob Sapp, his fight was the funniest fight of the night. The funniest fight I've seen in a long time. You think Dada versus Kimbo Slice was the battle of two guys that had no conditioning? Watch that fight right there. It's Bob Sapp versus, uh, um, I forgot the guy's name. But two sumo, uh, Bob Severs is sumo wrestling. Wow, I I guess um, I didn't even realize that was on there because it must have been an exhibition fight. So I I, uh, 
I didn't I didn't actually watch the entire card. I went through and watched it fight by fight afterwards. So <laughs> I guess that's one I'm gonna have to to find online after after we're done here. That's uh, <laughs> I didn't realize Bob Sapp was on that card. You sure it wasn't Quentin Jackson? Uh, Sorry, I I, uh, I, t- <laughs> oh, <bro. laughs> I, I feel bad because now I've got this running streak of shows with fat jokes on. Them. <laughs> well, the thing is, he became a meme. Yeah, like straight up. Like I I hope that like uh he gets his mind right. I hope that he trains properly or or that he doesn't fight again. One or two. If he's like a train properly and becoming the at least if he's gonna fight heavyweight, be under two forty. Yeah, I, I'm. You know what I'm saying? Or at least 250. It, at least make it look like you're taking it seriously. I mean, I know you think he's still trying, but, man, it, it's hard for me to watch that fight and think that he was there for anything but a paycheck. I'm not saying he took a dive by any means. That's not what I'm implying. I just I think he was there to get in and get out and take his check, you know, and, and maybe relive a little bit of his glory. You know, his walkout was awesome. I mean, you know, Pride Song, Lenny Hart, you know, it was – it was vented yeah, rampage thing, in that though, regard, but the fighter in the cage wasn't but, rampage. Well, here's the thing: like the world got catfish for one, two. When when we're when, as fighters, our goal is to get the check, get the bag, secure the bag, go in there as fast and fight and win as fast as possible. And, and, and three, like you know, Quentin went in there. Yes, the pride theme, but he showed no yeah. pride with his body yep. at all. One hundred percent. All right, last fight I want to talk about before we switch subjects. Uh, last night, PFL concluded their 2019 playoff season uh, with six title fights. Uh, you know, Mo, my biggest takeaway from this event before we actually dive into the um, fights themselves is six title fights on one card is a lot to digest, whether you're a hardcore fan or a casual fan. Um, you know, UFC 245 had three title fights on it, and that main card ended up lasting four hours. And by the time it was done, I felt exhausted. And last night, I watched that entire PFL card, and I was just wiped out by the time it was done. Like, it, it I was no longer excited, regardless of whether there were good fights or, or, you know, who was in the cage. I just was like, this is too much. It's too long. You know, six fights over four hours is just hard it was actually more like four and a half hours last night and the other issue i have is the no elbows rule you know the no elbows rule i can understand when they're in the regular season because the fighters have to have a quick turnaround and they don't want guys to you know be shelved due to a cut but in a 25 minute fight where you're following all the other unified rules and there's not going to be another fight for at least four months after this why not allow elbows i i especially like during the the featherweight final between Lance Palmer and Alex Gilpin, you know, Lance Palmer was on top for the majority of that fight. And I think if he had been able to throw elbows, I think it would have been a different fight. Like, I don't think it would have gone five rounds. I don't think you would have seen him just laying and praying basically for, for five rounds. I think you would have seen him be more aggressive and possibly get a finish. Uh, You know, Mo, you fought in strike force where at the time uh, they weren't allowing elbows. What are your thoughts on that? For, for me, if you're going to allow people to kick each other in the head and knee each other in the face, elbows are nowhere near as devastating. And, you know, yeah, they cause superficial cuts, but they can also do some good damage too. If they're thrown properly. I really think that they should, they should take, except like, you know, we should have a WNFC and a rising rules, full, full rules. Yeah. It'll make, it'll make fights so much easier. I, I'm with you. I mean, to me, 
the difference between getting kneed in the face while you're standing and getting kicked on the ground are not really that different. I mean, yeah, it looks worse, but realistically, from a you know pure physics standpoint and biology standpoint, it doesn't really matter. You're, you're, it doesn't feel good either way, and your body's not. Well, actually, you won't feel nothing. Yeah, you'll be asleep. <laughs> there's that too. You know, I mean, the the last fight on that Bellator card, you know, got finished with a soccer kick, and you know that one wasn't broadcast or whatever. But uh, you know, I, I think if if we did that, I, I think there'd be a lot more people that would uh, it would draw in more fans, I think, as opposed to putting people to sleep. I I don't want to be overly critical though. I thought the PFL card there were some good fights. Uh, you know, Emiliano Sordi uh, put away Jordan Johnson. I, I thought that was really impressive because. On paper, you know, Johnson with the UFC background and, and wrestling, like I thought that he had an inside track on that. Uh, you know, we talked off air a little bit. Uh, Natan Schultz versus uh, Loic Rudd Zaboff. Uh, that fight was fantastic. High pace. Fight Man, of the year. Fight just of the so year. much volume from both guys. And, and the first two rounds were super competitive. They, they beat the hell out of each other. And eventually Schultz chopped him down with those low kicks. And, you know, it was... It was a good fight. And then, uh, you know, the other one that certainly stood out was Ray Cooper the third, uh, beating David Mashad. That left hook to the body, I, I feel like I felt that one on my couch. Yeah. It, it it was so violent. And, uh, you know, I was trying to explain it to our, our, our Discord message board last night that the liver is like a, a magical off switch. And, and you don't realize it until you've been hit there. And, like, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm sure... It, it's happened to you inevitably in the gym and probably in the cage too. Like it's one of those things that you can't really describe until someone either kicks or punches you there and your brain might still be there, but the rest of your body just isn't there. I, I don't know. I, I, I thought that for me was the, the biggest takeaway from this card was Ray Cooper, you know, fell short last year on, on his million dollar quest gets revenge this year, you know, gets a big win, gets an impressive win. What'd you think, Mo? Uh, man, definitely. Um, the one seventy pound, uh, I mean, 155 uh, championship fight. Uh, Ramazan, what's his name? Ramazan? Yeah, uh, Radzabov. Yeah. Radzabov versus uh, um, Schultz. That was fight of the year, in my opinion. Um, you saw a lot of volume. You saw good shots. You saw grappling, uh, <clears throat> submission attempts. Um, the thing is, you saw a lot of high-level boxing and kickboxing from Natan Schultz. Actually, from both opponents. And a lot of toughness and grit. Because they were in the pocket, just banging. There was no backing up. Um, yeah, that was five of the year, hands down. There, there was no ifs, ands, or buts. Those two guys showed it all, all sorts of skills, top to bottom. Five of the year, right there. So the last topic I want to talk about on this PFL card is Kayla Harrison. I mean, undoubtedly, ridiculously talented. You know, two Olympic gold medals for judo. Ran through everybody this season. But realistically, I mean... Women's lightweight is not something that I think is sustainable, and I'm not sure what PFL does here. Um, you know, you look at what's happened with women's featherweight, where whether it's Invicta or the UFC or Bellator, they've struggled to fully stock the division with more than a handful of fighters. And when you look at the roster for women's lightweight in this, you know, this season that PFL did, most of them were bloated bantamweights. There, there are a couple, a couple that you know had fought at featherweight, you know. Bobby Joe Dalziel is definitely a, a true featherweight, uh, arguably a lightweight. But, you know, Larissa Pacheco has fought at Bantamweight. You know, she fought in the UFC at Bantamweight. She's fought at featherweight. You know, you had Sarah Kaufman, who was a former Strike Force Bantamweight champion, f- former Invicta Bantamweight champion. 
I I don't know what the PFL does with Kayla Harrison because I don't think that there's enough talent and depth in that weight class for it to ever matter beyond her. Like it's it's actually worse than the old cyborg situation with featherweight. Not really. I disagree. And I'll tell you why. You see what Bellator did with Ryzen. And I'm pretty sure you'll see KSW and some other organizations, WinFC and World FC and all of them start to partner up. I, if I were the PFL, I'd be like, hey, Bellator, can we borrow some of your 145ers? Can we co- can we co-promote with the women? Let's co- let's cross-promote with the women. Let's get something going. That's what I would do. Yeah, I mean, now that Cyborg is over in Bellator, it'd be interesting to see if they could do something like that, whether it's like a 150-pound catchweight or something like that. I mean, I don't know if Kayla has the ability to make 145 or not. I, I always hate those situations. I mean, we, we talked about it with Cyborg and Rousey for years. Well, 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 well I thought, wait, 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 time out. I thought Kayla could make 145. What, she's, she's been fighting, fighting at 155, lightweight, not featherweight. Oh, what the Yeah, I mean, she's she's 5'8". I mean, in theory, 145 seems plausible, but I also don't want to, like, you know, cutting weight for women has, has traditionally been more difficult. I mean, you saw what happened with... You know, Cyborg and Gina Carano back in the day yeah. and stuff like that. I don't want to force them to go down, but I worry that if she stays at 155, that there's not a lot of fights out there for her. And, you know, I mean, she obviously, you know, American Top Team has trained with Amanda Nunez and stuff. Like, I don't think that that's a fight that's going to happen. But, you know, m- maybe somewhere down the road, like you said, maybe co-promotion leads us to a, a fight with the Cyborg or Julia Budd or something like that. That's that's certainly not out of the question. Yeah. Um you know, maybe Rising can put together an open weight tournament. We can get Gabby Garcia and and Kayla Harrison and Cyborg all all in the same ring. All the same back, yeah. <laughs> That'd be a monster tournament. All right, folks, we're gonna take our, our our last break here. You're listening to Fight Court on Between Rounds Radio. Hey, everybody, it's TJ DeSantis from Between Rounds, and I want to thank you for checking out this ad supported version of our radio shows. You know you can get all of our broadcasts ad-free and likely a few days before everyone else gets them on this platform. That's right. Head over to patreon.com forward slash between rounds. You'll get some shows up to a week in advance. You won't have to listen to me interrupt the show to tell you, hey, you don't need to listen to this. You can check out the ad-free version and you'll get access to content that you won't find anywhere else. Not all of our roundtables and beatdown after the bells are available to everyone in this ad-supported version. Plus, if you become a patron, you'll get access to our exclusive Discord server. There you can chat with not only me, Jeff Sherwood, Rob Tatum, but also people like Jeremy Horn, Monty Cox, Mola Wall, and of course, fans just like you. So, if you want access to all of our programming immediately when it's released, patreon.com forward slash between rounds. And if you don't like to use Patreon, reach out to me directly, DeSantisMMA at gmail.com. It's true, we can get you the content without going through Patreon. I know, you're thinking podcasts are free. You're right, they are. This one right now is free. However, a better version of it is available right now at patreon.com forward slash between rounds. Plus, every dollar you spend on us, we put back into this. That's how I get people like Jeremy Horn, Monty Cox, Mola Wall, Julie Kedzie, Brandon McCaffrey, Jeff Sherwood, Rob Tatum, the whole team. That's how I get them to take time out of their precious lives to do radio for you and all of us. So we would always appreciate your support, patreon.com forward slash between rounds. All right, welcome back to Fight Court. So, Mo, the last thing I want to talk about today, uh, I kind of sprung this one on you earlier, uh, some bold predictions for 2020. Um, You know, we had a few people requesting that we do a Fighters of the Decade uh, list, and I I think you and I spoke that we weren't really into that. Um, 
for a variety of reasons. I mean, I, I think a decade is kind of an arbitrary cutoff point for a lot of things. And honestly, like if you were going to make a fighters of the decade list for the last 10 years, I think it's a pretty easy list, at least at the top. I mean, John Jones basically hasn't lost in the UFC cage during that stretch. Demetrius Johnson basically d- dominated everybody, um, you know, in the flyweight ranks during that time frame. And Amanda Nunez beat every significant female fighter on the planet uh, during that same stretch. So I don't think that there's a whole lot to debate on that topic. And, and I think it's really arbitrary, but I think we can have a little bit more fun thinking about what could happen in the next year. You know, maybe some things that people aren't thinking about, um, you know, best example I can give is I remember I was at the tough uh, finale when Israel Adesanya beat Brad Tavares. And as soon as that fight ended, I uh, tweeted out that I said, uh, Israel Adesanya will beat Robert Whitaker by the end of 2019 and become the UFC middleweight champion. And Everybody started saying, oh, hot take, skip Bayless, all this shit. And then, you know what happened last year? Israel Adesanya beat Robert Whitaker and is now the UFC champion. So, you know, I, I not to just pat my own back, if you will, but, you know, that's the kind of thing I'm thinking, you know, something that's maybe a little uh, forward thinking that people may not think is, is going to happen. And it doesn't necessarily have to be people winning. It could be people losing, uh, Mo, I'm going to let you go first. What's one on your mind you think that's going to happen in the next year that people may not expect? I'm going to be honest with you. I have no idea what to expect because I'm always wrong when it comes to that. I can't predict anything. (laughs) I'm terrible at that. Straight up, I'm terrible. Because the thing is, like, when you try to predict stuff like that, that means you're trying to think like a matchmaker (laughs) and figure out what matches, what fights going to happen and be a manager to figure out what fights fighters will take. You know what I'm saying? And be a trainer figuring out, hey, we'll have the right game plan for these. Like, I just don't – too many variables to me. You're, you're overanalyzing, Mo. Um, all right. Well, I tell you what. I, I threw together a couple, and, and I think you'll want to weigh in on these because I know that you, you're familiar with them. So uh, the, the first one that came to my mind is that, you know, PFL has signed Rory McDonald, uh, someone that, you know, challenged for UFC belt, uh, held a Bellator belt for quite a while. Um, but I don't think – that Rory McDonald wins the the welterweight tournament next year. I, I, I just, I, I think he's been through too many wars. I think at this point in his career, I don't see the same, you know, uh, desire, fire to, to go out there and, and dominate people. I, I think there's a lot of people in that welterweight division, you know, one that you're familiar with probably Magomed, Magomed Karimov, uh, who unfortunately had to yep. bow out of, of this year's tournament. Uh, I think he was sick during the, the um, semifinal round, but I I don't think that Rory McDonald, you know, when, when we talk a year from now about the PFL championship, I don't think we're going to talk about Rory McDonald getting a million dollar check. We won't. We'll talk about Magomed Karimov. I beat yeah. him. So we agree on that one. All right. This one. This one. I don't know if we're going to agree on. So um, I think that AJ McKee wins the Bellator featherweight tournament. I think he unseats Pitbull. And I think when that tournament's done, I think it's AJ McKee that holds the belt. I don't know. Because Borax, yeah, we have Borax, you have uh, how we deal with the uh, Caldwell's wrestling. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, well, I don't know if, if Patricio even had the belt going into that. Who knows? Yeah, that's a. I think of all the fighters in that tournament who has impressed me the most consistently, and the one that I think Bellator has done the best job of developing is AJ McKee. And I think that it would be not only like 
great for his career. I think it would be great for Bellator to show that they can develop talent from the bottom up. I mean, they, they've certainly done a great job of signing, you know, guys with great wrestling credentials and, and moving them up, but we haven't seen one of them, you know, walk away with a belt yet. And I think that this, this could be the one, you know, that they've basically had AJ McKee since day one. And I think that this tournament is the opportunity for him to, to really show the world that he is an elite featherweight. And I, I think he wins this tournament. I, We'll, we'll see. I mean, like you said, there's a lot of good fighters in it. A lot can happen. So the last one, and, and this one could go all over the place. Um, Tyson Fury ends 2020 as the unified heavyweight champion, beating Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua. What do you think? I agree. Yeah, I, I think the, the biggest thing that's going to be in the way of this one happening is whether Joshua and Fury can get a deal done for later in the summer to, to make that fight happen. Cause we all know that Fury and Wilder's happening in February, you know, based on what happened in that first fight. And we've talked about it at length here, you know, Fury was clearly outboxing him, you know, survive those knockdowns. And unless Wilder is able to put him away, I don't, I think Fury wins that. And I think you've got two Brits with all the belts, all the marbles, Wembley stadium, you know, sometime July, August, something like that. I, I think you see Tyson Fury, uh, at the end of this year, standing there with a whole bunch of belts on his shoulders, and well, the belts are going to be the belts will be in, in the UK for for a while. It's a lot more talent there in the boxing heavyweight division. Daniel Dubois is a guy to look out for. Um, Martin Bacol is another guy to look out for. But I think when it's all said and done, Tyson Fury will have that belt at the end of twenty twenty. But the sleeper and the person to look out for in the future is Daniel Dubois. He's a beast. See, you, you did have a prediction, man. You just you just didn't want to call it bold or, or go too far out there. And <laughs> well, well, I said I said I said the future. I didn't say any year. I said the future. I ain't giving no years. Fair enough. All right, folks, uh, that's it for this week. Uh, as always, we'd love to hear your feedback on the show. Uh, hit us up on the the Between Rounds Radio Discord. Reach out on Twitter at Between Rounds underscore at King Mo FH or at Rob Tatum three hundred three. Thanks for listening. The preceding podcast was a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be directed to desantisprod at gmail.com.